0: of a teaching than a preaching. We're going to talk about the cross, and I don't have a lot of time to discuss the medical aspects of the cross, so I wrote in the Bible blog blog in the back of the bulletin about that. But I want us to think about Jesus and the cross tonight. because we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday, but it's it's really all about the cross. Think about if you knew Jesus. If you lived 2,000 years ago and you got to hang out with him. Imagine what it would be like to hang out with somebody that is always good. He always says the right things. He always does the right thing. He he never makes a mistake and he's always loving. He's perfect and he's good. How wonderful would it be like to have a friend like that that just knew the right word in the right season at the right time. I mean, that would have been Wonderful. And He was so good. He was perfect. But that's not why He came. He didn't just come to be good and perfect. And I was, I was thinking about the miracles. If I could have saw the miracles. I mean, just the, just what He did. And Could you imagine seeing somebody raised from the dead? Or, or when you're in the midst of trouble and the storm is all around you, He just stands up and says, peace be still. What the, What would that have been like to be in, in a very hungry crowd and He blesses just a small meal and He starts feeding everybody. That would have been unbelievable. His miracle power is amazing. It's supernatural, but it's, it's not why He came. I think about Jesus and... and uh, I, just, I think about all the things that, uh, that He did and He said and He taught. I mean, words that to this day... We still teach stories that are, have universal meaning. I mean, just stories that cut to the heart. You, you think of the, the, the greatest preacher, or the greatest actor that would try to portray it, and you can never portray it as well as he taught it in, in I think about his teaching ministry, what it would have been like just to sit at his feet as Jesus started to teach. But he didn't come to be our teacher. Jesus came for one reason, and He makes it clear over and over and over again. He said, I came to be your Savior. I came to save you from your sins. I came to die on a cross. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. He said, I've come to die on a cross. There's four purpose verses for Jesus' life found in each of the Gospels. Matthew 1.21 is when the the, um, angel shows up in Joseph's dream. And he and he says to Joseph that that your son he has come to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to be good. He didn't come to do miracles. He didn't come to teach. He came to seek and to save the lost in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 in that passage of scripture when the uh, disciples are arguing, who's the greatest, Jesus? Who's the greatest? He says, the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I've come to give my life for you. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we have the story of Zacchaeus. And they're kind of surprised at this miraculous salvation of this little tax collector that they didn't think God loved. And Jesus said, the reason I came is to seek and to save the lost. Came to die on the cross for lost people. John chapter 12 is an amazing chapter because in verse 23 he says, my time has come. He said it throughout his life. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Now my time has come. And unless the kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it will never produce life. And, and so he's saying, I've come to die on the cross. And that is what we are celebrating as we begin Palm Sunday and walk through this last week of Lent. You go toward the cross and the reason Jesus came If you put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, all together, all the words, all the stories, about half of all the Gospels is about the last week of Jesus' life. That's how important what we're talking about is. This last week, out of three years of ministry, has over half the Gospels as we zero in on the cross. What happened on Palm Sunday? He goes into this giant parade and they sing Hosanna and then He begins to weep over Jerusalem. And then when he gets into the city, he clears the temple and then he goes home, not to his home, to another home in Bethany and he gets some rest. I mean, you think about it. The joy of the parade. And then he begins to weep because he knows that they're going to reject him. And he's felt their rejection for three years now and now he knows it's finally coming this last week of his life so he weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Because he knows what it's like when nobody wants you. And then you, you keep moving and, and, and he goes into the temple and he's so angry at what the house of God should be, but it isn't. And then he has to go home and rest because he's like you and me. He took a human form, fully God but fully man, and he goes and he rests. And what a day. And it begins the next day, and, and the whole week it kind of disintegrates these Arguments with the Pharisees get worse and worse, and in, in, in this he starts teaching these amazing teachings about our life. The teaching from the last week of Jesus' life is out of this world, as he teaches why he came, as he teaches about the end times, as he teaches even on the Last Supper about his life, and what it means, and what we can expect in the future, that he's going to go away and prepare a place for us. And, and so he's teaching and teaching and teaching. And, and finally, after the Last Supper, he goes to the garden where he's arrested. They mock him. They beat him. They uh, yell crucify him. And after some false charges are brought against him, he, he goes to the cross. It's the reason he came before he was ever born. The angel is telling us that. And so he goes to the cross, and that becomes the symbol of Christianity. It's not the the cup and the bread of communion. It's not the fish symbol that we see on the back of a car. The symbol of Christianity is the cross because that's why Jesus came. And what I want to do tonight, just quickly, is run through the, the sayings of Jesus on the cross. We call them the cries of the cross. Seven cries from the cross. Seven things He says on the cross. These are the last words of Jesus, and they speak to you and they speak to me. And they speak of His life and of His mission. So I want to go through these just quickly, these last words of Jesus. And the first is a cry of forgiveness in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. I want you to think about that. Father, forgive them. But who is He praying this for? I mean, who's responsible? Is it the crowd that yelled, crucify? Or is it the religious leaders that kind of whipped up to, to yell it in the first place? Is it the Roman officials or even the soldiers that are, are, are putting the nails through his hands and his feet? Is it the disciples who were so scared that they ran away and they didn't protect their friend? Or you could just even march all the way down to today? Is it me? Is it me? Who's responsible for Jesus on the cross Well, it's all of us we're all guilty? In Rembrandt's painting of the Passion, he puts a self-portrait of himself as the Roman soldier driving the nails into the hands. I found that so intriguing, and I thought maybe we should do that this last week of the Lent season before Easter, before Good Friday. Just picture ourselves nailing the hand of Jesus to the cross. Because we're guilty. He's there for us. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you think of all the people yelling and mocking and all the things that are going on around the cross. And it's man at his worst. And here's God at his best. Saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's preaching forgiveness from the cross. I think about that and I think about what would the average person that's being crucified, the average criminal that's being crucified, what would they be saying? What would they be screaming? Would they be proclaiming their innocence? Would they, would they be using expletives as they're, they're cursing out the Roman soldiers that are driving the nails into their hand and feet? What would they be saying? What God says is, Father, forgive them. And what we see in this is the power of God to make us clean. To make us right. Even when we're full of sin and full of garbage, And this is kind of Jesus' first prayer for us as He's dying. Father, forgive them. The Bible tells us that His role now for you and me is to intercede for us. To pray for you. To pray for me. That's what Jesus does now. He intercedes on our behalf and He started it back then. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we receive the fruit of the cross. We receive the fruit of His prayer when He says, Father, forgive them. The next statement from the cross, or the cry from the cross, is the cry of assurance. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, says, "I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise." Both um, Roman soldiers—I mean, both to me, criminals—mocked him. Both of them mocked him. We know that from Matthew and Mark. And yet, one somewhere along the way realizes that he's being crucified next to the Son of God. The interesting thing is he never heard Jesus preach. He never followed. How did he know to surrender his life to Jesus? How in the world did this guy that was mocking Jesus know to say, remember me? Well, the only thing he would have heard Jesus say is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the only thing he would have ever heard Jesus say, but he realized in that moment that this isn't just somebody average being crucified. This isn't just another criminal proclaiming his innocence. No, this guy, there's something different. And so he says, Jesus, remember me. And he becomes part of the forgiven. He becomes part of the ones that Jesus was dying for. And I love that picture. And you know what's great about that? Is that is the first fruit of the cross. That guy who's hanging right next to him and realizing get it, he gets it. And you know what I love about his salvation experience? It didn't happen in a church. There wasn't a prayer. There wasn't a religious ceremony. He had no time to be good and do some good works. He's dying on the cross. The only thing he can say is, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's powerful. Because a lot of times we think, well, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got I've to do all these things, and I've got to be good. And, and Jesus just says, hey, it's, I'll remember you. I'm interceding for you. There, it's not about religion. It's not about ceremony. And I love this picture on the cross. The purpose of the cross is shown on the cross as he Invites that criminal into heaven. The third cry is a cry of compassion. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, it says, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple, who is John, took her into his home. Powerful picture here. We know from this statement that His mother is at the foot of the cross. Could you imagine watching your son being crucified? It's prophesied when Jesus is eight days old at the temple by Simeon. He says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And that is prophetic that she will stand at the foot of the cross and watch her son die. And so mom's watching Jesus die and... John is there, the beloved friend of Jesus, the closest friend Jesus has. is at the cross as well. And he's watching his friend die. And Jesus in that moment is thinking about others on the cross. He's always thinking about other people, whether it be the, the, the criminal right next to him as he invites them into paradise, or, or John or his mom or you or me. He's always thinking of others on the cross, not about himself. And he says to John... I want you to take care of my mom. That's what he's in essence saying, because she needs someone. She's a widow. She, I'm, I'm her oldest son, and I've taken care of her. But now, John, you're going to take care of her. The, the reality is, though, Jesus had other brothers. We know that Joseph and Mary had children. It comes from Matthew chapter 15. So we know that he had other brothers, James and Jude and, 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 and others. And He had actually had four different brothers. And so one of them could have taken care of the family, but he gives John the responsibility of his family. Because his brothers aren't there. We know his brothers don't believe in him until after the resurrection. And so he gives, gives his mom to John and he says, I want you to take care of my mom. And we say, well, what's so big about that in, 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 in the saying on the cross? And here's what he's saying to John. Listen to me very carefully. He's saying, John, I'm not going to be here anymore. I want you to take my place in this world. You take my place in this world. I was the oldest son. I was taking care of mom. But I'm not going to be here anymore. You take my place. And Jesus says the same thing to you and me. I'm not not here anymore physically. You take my place in this world. You take my place in this world. Come together as the body of Christ and take my place in this world. You be Jesus to this world. In your home, in your school, where you work, in your community, your neighborhood, wherever you go, you are Jesus as you go he says take my place i want you to i want you to 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 live out what it means to be Jesus and that's why it's so important to be the church and to gather together as a church because we are the body of Christ something happens at this point in the crucifixion things begin to change and some supernatural events begin to happen the first thing that happens is unnatural darkness sets across this land and it's not a solar eclipse or anything like that because they've looked at the calendar back then. There is a supernatural darkness that comes across the land. And I want you to think about that. Now, if we lost power in here, we have some emergency lights that would come on. But we're talking in the middle of the day in an ancient culture, if you lost power, it would be pitch black. There are no emergency lights that come on. There are no street lights. There is nothing. And it goes dark. And it's a picture of God forsaking His Son. It's the it's the it's a God has to turn away from his son and here is Jesus who has been proclaimed the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, but at this moment when sin is coming upon him, it's dark. And the next thing that happens is this earthquake and an earthquake especially when it comes to Jesus and end times events is, is a sign of judgment or wrath and it's that God's judgment is being poured out upon the cross. <clears throat> And that God is present at that moment and the judgment is being poured out. The veil is the next thing that happens. This, this thick veil that, that separated everyone from the holy place is torn. And it's very clear in the Bible. It says from the top to the bottom. It's torn from the top to the bottom and it's wide open. And the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant is exposed and God is saying the, the sacrifice has been made. There's no more separation between you and me. There will be no more lambs. There will be no more bulls or goats or sheep. There will be no more pigeons. There will be nothing more because it is now wide open between you and me. And you will have access to me. It won't be just the one day a year that they used to go through and make a, uh, on the Day of Atonement and make that sacrifice. It will be all the time. Complete access between you and me. The next thing that happens is really interesting in the Gospel of Matthew. He tells us that the graves of saints opened up and they came out alive. And it's only the graves of the saints and they came out alive. And, and, and what it is, it's a supernatural picture of what God did on the cross for you and me that gave us new life. It's only the saints, but they came out of their grave and they were alive. I mean, a powerful picture, supernatural things happening, and God is saying, This is big. This is the the crux of history. This is it, the cross. And it's in the midst of the earthquake and the darkness and the veil and the graves and everything. Jesus cries out in anguish in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have You abandoned me? And what He begins to do now is He begins to quote Scripture on the cross. That comes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus is an in, 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 uh, in, in essence of the Trinity. And when He became man, he is, he is fully man, fully God, and as a man, He always had communion with the Father. He only did what the Father told Him to do. He only went where the Father told Him to go. <clears throat> he only said what the Father told Him to say. I mean, He was so in tune with the Father. He was always at prayer. He was always alone with the Father. He had this connection to the Father and now he's separated from the Father. Can you imagine what it would have felt like at that moment that he was separated from the Father? And the reason he separated is because this is what Paul tells us in the Corinthian letters, that he became sin for you and me and all the sin and garbage of all human history was placed upon him on the cross. I want you to think about that a guy that is perfect, who knew no sin, a holy, holy, holy God begins to feel every hurt and abuse, murder and crime. He begins to feel that upon Him on the cross. He begins to feel all of that as He cries out to God. And I want you to know that, that our sin does hurt God. We can't just say, well, you know, I'm forgiven and it's okay. No. We've got to picture ourselves as the Roman soldier banging the nail into his hand. And he is that sacrifice being made for you and me. The Old Testament sacrifice when they would bring the lamb and uh, they would put their hands on the head of the lamb. It was to be a picture of transferring sin onto the animal. And the animal would then be uh, offered to God and as sin sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to God. Imagine the, the weight of all of our sin being placed on the head of Jesus as He becomes the sacrificial lamb. When we sing it tonight, we'll never know how much it cost. We won't. And there's a theological word, I'll just give it to you quickly. It's called imputed or imputation where, where Christ was imputed with our sin. Our sin was imputed to Him. But the beautiful thing about that is is we give Him our sin, but then He gives us His righteousness. He imputes that to us. He gives us His holiness. He gives that to us. He gives us His goodness. And so we give Him our worst and He gives us His best. And that's the trade-off of the cross. Unbelievable. The next cry is a cry of suffering in in John chapter 19, verse 28. He says, I'm thirsty. Earlier on the cross, He refused wine. It was actually a very strong drink that would kind of hide some of the suffering, kind of numb the body a little bit. And Jesus refused that to feel the full extent of the cross. But He's very aware of prophecy. And He says, I am thirsty to fulfill prophecy in this... Uh, messianic psalms of psalm 42 psalm 63 and psalm 69 you can read those at another time so he says i'm thirsty and they offer him not water but vinegar which is um, unbelievable because when you think about that and, and if you know how vinegar is a part of the passover meal i mean he is the passover lamb at that point he's the passover lamb on the cross the Lamb, the, all the lambs for thousands of years were pointing to this Lamb on the cross. And, and He says, I'm thirsty. And He tastes the vinegar and He spits it out. And I think about Jesus saying, I'm thirsty. It blows me away because He tells the woman at the well, when you drink of My living water, you'll never thirst again. And here He's saying, I'm thirsty in His suffering. And, and what I love about it, because we talked about Him being the Passover Lamb, He's not a lamb, He's a human being. Because no longer will the, the, the lamb sacrifice doesn't atone for us because it's not like us. It's just an animal. It had to be one of us and it had to be somebody that throughout his life he got tired and hungry and he cried and he was tempted and he did, he kind of went through life and he experienced everything. He identified with us so that he could be the sacrifice on the cross. And so he said he was thirsty. And the next one though, I love. In John 19.30, we see the cry of victory. It is finished. It's finished. Not his life. His life's not finished. It's the mission is accomplished. And he uses the Greek word, tetelestai. Tetelestai. And that is actually an accounting term for paid in full. Paid in full. They would write it on a receipt like we would do today. They found papyri uh, pieces from back then that had... That word on it saying paid in full. If you, and, and also, it's something they would write on criminals when they were released from prison. You've paid your debts to society. You have a clean record now. It's a beautiful picture where Jesus says, It is finished. The reason I came, I came to be your Savior. I came to die on a cross. I came to take your sins upon me. It's finished. It's done. Don't you reopen it by thinking about how bad you are. If you ever start rehearsing the sins that God has forgiven you of, just say, it is finished. Which brings us to the last cry from the cross. Actually, another quote from the Psalms. A cry of submission. Luke 23.46 Father, I entrust my Spirit into Your hands. It's at this moment Jesus dismisses His Spirit from His body. He doesn't die. And God does not die. I really will die. God die on the cross? No. Jesus dismisses His Spirit and then the body dies. Jesus is in full control. He gives His life every step of the way. And He quotes David's psalm. Psalm 31.5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And David said it in a time of trouble when He said, God, I have full trust and confidence in You. And that's what Jesus does here. Father, I have full trust and confidence in You. It's over. It's been accomplished. We're going to be reconnected. And, And what a beautiful picture here at the end of the cross, saying, just like we should say, I'm committing myself to You. I'm entrusting myself to You. These are seven statements on the cross that are a picture of His life and a picture of why He came. But I don't want you to miss what it's all about. The words on the cross are for you. They're for you to grab a hold of. What does Jesus tell us on the cross? What does He give us on the cross? He gives us, first of all, forgiveness, salvation, love, security, atonement, victory. He did this for you. On Good Friday, He did this for you. That's why He came. Are you letting Him do these things for you? Don't hold on to your past. Don't try to be religious. Don't try to be good and all. Let God work in your life. I want us to listen to a song before we close in prayer. It's a song called King of the Hill. It's by an artist named Eli. I've always loved this song and I thought it would be good tonight. And so you can focus on the words or on the cross, but but think about what Jesus did for you. Think about the forgiveness and salvation and all that came from the cross for you and what Jesus did. Listen to this song and then we'll pray together.
1: Seem foolish, but I'm scared. My beloved yell and crucify. It's as if no one ever cared. Soldiers mock me with their songs. Cause I'm naked and I'm weak. Well I don't know how much longer I can go on when every breath I take is just to weep for a moment time stood still till To the King of the Hill, and all the angels just stood still to listen to the King of the Hill. Well, I could have had servants, and I could have world as their king I could have had wealth beyond measure I could have had anything but it wouldn't have meant anything not my will but yours be done No agenda, only your truth. You were so proud to call me son. Now, Father, I commit my soul to you. For a moment, time stood still to listen. To the king of the hill And I can hear you whisper still Father, I'm the king of the hill Father, I'm the king of the
0: Bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight. We've listened to the words of Jesus on the cross tonight. And I want us to embrace those words. I don't want another Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter just to roll around and us not grab hold of what the cross means. It means so much for each one of us. It means forgiveness and salvation, love and security, atonement and victory. And I don't know what you need tonight, but it was provided on the cross. And I don't know everybody here, so I'm just going to say it. We all need Jesus. We're just like that thief that was crucified next to Him. So, when we hear, Father, forgive them, we need to say, I need to be forgiven. We were all created for a relationship with God. But what separates us from God is our sin. The only way to get rid of your sin is to rely on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And so, all you have to do is just ask God to forgive you have your sin to turn from your sin to to follow Christ follow Jesus and to give him your life and just like the thief on the cross next to him it's it's not about a religion it's not about a church it's it's not about saying the right words it's just saying from your heart remember me because Jesus intercedes for us on our behalf. And so I'm going to pray for you tonight. And If you need to invite Christ into your life, you just say, Father, remember me. And He'll know what's going on in your heart. And for those of us that know God, sometimes we just need to be reminded what the cross was really all about. And that we're the ones that nailed His hands and His feet there we get to partake in the victory of the cross as well so as I pray partake in that victory because he did it he did it all he did it for you God I love you tonight more than ever before there's something about the cross and preaching the cross and looking at your life that just does something in my heart and so God I just want to say thank you I can't imagine what it was like in that moment, as heaven and earth stood still and watched you die, and that that sacrifice was a sacrifice for the past, for the present, for the future. All happening on the cross. So God, thank you that you are remembering us as we remember you this Palm Sunday, this Good Friday, this Easter, Lord, as we remember you, thank you for remembering us. Thank you for interceding for us. Thank you for the victory that you won on the cross. And God, thank you for taking all of our garbage and sin and giving us your holiness and your righteousness, God. May we walk in that holiness and righteousness. May we love you and not the things of this world. May we be devoted to the King of the hill. Lord, You've got our hearts, and we all say tonight, remember us. Remember me, God. Remember me. And God, we can't wait till we see You face to face. But until then, we're Yours, and we will follow You all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen.